I don't want to tell the whole story in this. My wife and I spent a summer on the Indian reserves in Saskatchewan, Canada. After we'd returned, uh, I found myself in South Carolina, and I met a, a couple there that had told me they had spent two years on, in Montana, in Hungry Horse, Montana, and that they were working with an indigenous church, a Native American church, Indians. And I said, oh, wow, great. How's that going? Oh, going good, going good. Nice church, that's good. They have, uh, you know, their faith is immature, though. I said, what? Excuse me? Their faith is immature. I said, oh, tell me more. Well, you know, the pastor and his wife are kind of young, but they're great people, love the Lord. But they felt that the Lord spoke to them that they're supposed to go to a conference in California somewhere. So with $10 in their pocket, they got in the car and drove to California. I said, wow, how'd that work out? Well, they got there. They got home all right. Well, how'd that happen? People probably gave money along the way. I thought, wow, there's no foundation here. I did that all the time. So there's no foundation for me to talk to them anymore. They don't have it. They can't even believe. Well, the Bible's full of people doing that kind of stuff. Taking off with nothing. I've done it a lot of times. And let God meet me on the way because he said to do it. Now, this, now what I, that's not part of my message. I guess it is. In the early days of the church, you'll read about it in the seventh chapter of the book of Acts. Now, the book of Acts is what the normal Christian church looks like. Okay? The Lord wants us to conform to what the book of Acts looks like. Because they turn the world upside down. Now, in the seventh chapter of the book of Acts, we find that they ordained some deacons. One of them's name was Stephen. He was full of faith and power and did miracles as well as feed the widows of the day from the church's funds. So he found himself in front of the religious leaders of the day. They're usually a problem. And so he preached the word to them. They wanted to know what he was talking about. So he preached the word to them. And he got down to the end of it. And he said, stop hardening your hearts, you stiff-necked people. And believe God and receive the Holy Ghost. And they took him outside the city and killed him. They stoned him. And standing there in the presence was a young man whose name was Saul. He was a, Turkey, a, a Turkish young man, Saul of Tarsus. That's in Turkey. And he was a Jew. And he was extremely zealous. And these people talking about Jesus were blasphemers. They were calling him God. So he was consenting to Stephen's death and actually held the coats of those who were throwing stones. Now let's move over to chapter 9 of Acts. Because in chapter 9, the very first verse says, And Saul, yet breathing out threatenings and slaughter against the disciples of the Lord, went to the high priest. And he asked for letters of authority and permission 
so they could go round up these Jewish blasphemers who were believing in Jesus and bring them back to stand trial, and maybe they'll recant. Maybe we can save them. They'll renounce that foolishness. And if they don't, well, we'll kill them. We've already done it. Slaughter is the word to use there. It means kill. So this same Saul, he got these letters. And he's got a couple of folks with him, and he's on his way to Damascus, which was close to where he lived. And on the way, a bright light came around him, and it knocked him to the ground. And he heard a voice said, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? Who are you, Lord? I'm Jesus, whom you're persecuting. It's very hard for you to kick against what I've been doing in you. Lord, what would you have me do? Get up and go into the city, and I'll show you. Now, this is a holy moment, but I want you to know that the earth today is filled with holy moments. All the time, there's holy moments, because God is always working. Always. He's only got one people to work through. You see, Jesus is in heaven. He's not here on earth. Christ is on earth in you. So we're all he's got. So he had somebody else prepared. Because now let's go to verse 10. Because in, in, in Damascus, there was a certain disciple. Stop. Disciple. Oh, he went to church. Stop. Oh, he believed in Jesus. Stop! That's a simple thing to do. No, no, he was a disciple. Like I am. That means that he saw the Lord and he gave his life over to him. I want to know you. I want to follow you. I want to do your will. I'm available to you. I am your hand, your mouth, your eye, your foot. I'm something. I'm your voice. And I'm yours. Now he's getting the kingdom. It's one thing to see the kingdom. It's something else to get in. We're born again. We see. But now we can enter. Disciple. It's interesting. Later on in the book of Acts, around chapter 20, Paul was... Oh, by the way, is Saul? He became Paul and wrote 13 or 14 letters of the New Testament that we read. So, but let's see how that happened. There was an old disciple later on. I like that. <laughs> I'm not young anymore. And my wife isn't young anymore, and she's a disciple too. We're disciples. So, there's a certain disciple. He had him prepared from before the foundation of the world. 
You see, disciples have works prepared for them from the, before the foundation of the world. So it behooves me and you to step across the line and become disciples. Let's see what kind of a disciple this guy was. That's what I'd like to know. What's really unique about him, if anything? I'm going to move this so I can get away from that. This man's name was Ananias. And he saw in a vision, I've had visions, you had visions? The Lord said to him, Ananias, in his vision, the Lord said, Ananias, Kennard, Pat, Linda, Teresa, Jeff, Kevin, Keith, Margie, yes, Lord, yes, it's a wonderful thing to hear your name from him, I am here, Lord, I'm on duty, Lord, I'm waiting for you, Lord, I've always pictured Ananias as maybe at his shop working on leather or something, I don't know, but doing something. And the Lord breaking in in that moment, saying, Ananias, yes, Lord, I'm here waiting for you. Excited about working with you. Excited about your will. Because when I became a disciple, you filled me with the Holy Ghost. When I became a disciple, you showed me your hand and your eyes and your face. I see you. And you've been teaching me ever since. And now you want me to be a part of what you're doing. I'm here. So then the Lord says, arise. You're going to get up and do something. And go into the street which is called Straight. He's giving him an address. I've had that. You I love it when he does that. His promises are so precious. And I want you to inquire in the house of Judas for someone called Saul of Tarsus because he's praying. Saul doesn't know Jesus. He hates this Jesus person. But he's been blind for three days. Hasn't eaten or drinking for three days. And he's praying. God, I'm confused. I, I, I know your word. I love your scriptures. I love your word. I love you. I mean, I... I, I I have fought for you. Uh, why am I here? He's praying. Something else now. And he's seen in a vision. You, your name, Ananias, a man called Ananias, coming in and putting his hands on him so that he can receive his sight. He's seen that in a vision. I showed it to him. Nobody sees a vision without Jesus being there given the vision. So, Saul's waiting. 
Ananias said, I'm here, Lord, I'm ready. What kind of a guy is Ananias? Let's just step back for a second. Saul of Tarsus? You mean the one with the letters? The one who's been killing Christians? <laughs> it says right here, Lord, I've heard many things about this man. And how much evil he's done to your saints at Jerusalem. And here he has authority from the chief priests to bind all that call upon your name. Isn't this interesting, the kind of conversation that he's having with Christ Jesus? There's nothing religious about him. Jesus is a person to him. And he's talking to him. And he's frightened. Persecution is taking place of people calling on the name of Jesus. Lots of it. People dying. As a matter of fact, if you go back a little ways, you see they've all been scattered all over the place from the persecution that began with the stoning of Stephen. And then was picked up by the Gentiles. So life is not easy for the believer. We know nothing about persecution yet. But he did. He understood it. And to step into the lion's den, he had some fear. Now, he's not this great, big, wonderful saint. He's just a brother who said, I'm giving myself to you, Lord. And apart from Jesus, and apart from the Holy Spirit in our lives, none of us can do anything. But in humility, I say, God, Lord Jesus, I'm your disciple. I'm giving it up over to you. You do with me as you will, and I'll follow. That's a disciple. But the Lord said, go. Ananias couldn't know this. He doesn't know the magnitude of what's happening. He's just supposed to go and look for a man named Saul of Tarsus, whom he heard was bad news. He said, go, because he's a chosen vessel to me. I've chosen him. He's going to bear my names before the Gentiles, and I'm going to show him what great things he's going to suffer for my name's sake. Well, now, Ananias doesn't just have a command to go. He's been brought into the mystery. He's been brought into the secret. This is what I'm going to do, Ananias, and you're part of it. Now, that wouldn't have happened had he not been a disciple to begin with, had he not really given himself up to the Lord. Ananias went his way, and he entered into the house, and he put his hands on him, and he said something wonderful. Consider this. This is the same Saul who's been killing Christians, who hates Jesus. And he says, Brother, this is an act of faith. Brother Saul. So now we see that Ananias, who believes God, who's a disciple of Jesus, enters in not just to the mystery, into the secret of what God's going to do, but he joins in with it. He's in the game now. I believe if he's your chosen vessel, if he's going to bear your name, then he's my brother. 
I don't know where he's at this very moment, but I see him as my brother. Whether it's today or next month or next year, he's my brother. Because God said, he's my chosen vessel. So, brother Saul. It's interesting. He says, the Lord Jesus, who appeared to you in a way as you came, has sent me. Now watch, that you might receive your sight and be filled with the Holy Ghost. <laughs> From this little disciple. He's not this great, big, wonderful hero man of God been traveling the world. Probably a leather worker. He's a disciple. Now God may have never said that before or after this circumstance. But this disciple was engaged in a great work, howbeit hidden in some Jew's house in Damascus. That you might receive your sight and be filled with the Holy Spirit. After you prayed for him, you don't see Ananias do much else here. But immediately, those scales came from his eyes received his sight, he arose and was baptized. And when they fed him and he was strengthened, Saul stayed there certain days with the disciples. With the disciples. Now, they've received Saul into their midst. And now these disciples who know Jesus, they know what he says, they know his word, they're ministering to Saul. And it isn't long. Look at there. He began to proclaim Jesus in the synagogues, saying, He is the Son of God. And all those hearing him continued to be amazed. What's the purpose of all this story today? Here's the purpose you've been called out. He called out to give you himself so that you can have eternal life. So that you can be changed inside. Learn how to love. How to be a blessing. That's what he's done. He's given himself to you, but but what he really wants now is for you to give yourself to him as a disciple. That's what's called laying your life down. You don't have to have some great call in your life to be some man of God or some of this or something. That, that's nothing. Jesus is God. And he uses weaklings like me and you. If we give ourselves up to him, My wife and I did that years ago, and we were in a kind of a tough situation up in Kalkaska. <laughs> and we didn't want to walk that way anymore. I was removed from my workaday world, no longer had income. We had, before that, we were pretty well off, and but anyway, we got rid of all that. So, because he told us to, disciples do what they're told. So, we're. <laughs> We were talking about it, and life was kind of rough right at that moment. We were 
We were involved and engaged in, in, in a situation that we didn't like, couldn't do anything about. So we stretched out across the bed together, God. And we agreed, right, honey? Yeah. Lord, we want you to release us from this. And we waited. Okay. We released. But there's something else. We, we realized something. And I said to him, God, thank you, but you have to release us. He said, that's right. And if any man thinks he stands, let him take heed lest he falls. When we gave ourselves to the Lord, he accepted it. He took it. And I'm so thankful. I look at what we'd have missed had he released us and I could just go back into the world on a living and take care of my kids. Holy smoke. Death. I look back at what we would have missed. We've had some troubles and some trials and things we had to work through. But he sent us around the country, Canada, Central America, with the gospel, ministering his life where he wanted us to and how. We'd have missed that. There's a reward laid up in heaven. We'd have missed that. We'd have just gone to church and been believers. Somehow glad that we're going to heaven. It's not enough for Kendrick. I'm sorry. It's just not enough. Not when I know there's something greater available, being his disciple. So we've been pretty sober about that over the years. So Saul became a disciple, followed the Lord, and went on and traveled throughout the region, establishing churches, and only because it's what God told him to do. He knew that in his heart. That's what he had to do. After he spent a number of years quiet and alone, he went and did it. And he asked us, please, not to exalt him over it. Because all the while he knew that he was simply a disciple. He was a little member of, of, of Christ's body, like we are, little members. Little. With his power in us. And he wants us to know that power. Paul wrote to us in Ephesians chapter 1, I want you to be filled with the spirit of wisdom and revelation so that you can know what God knows. And I want you to know the hope of his calling. I want you to understand and know what he's called you to. And I want you to know how great, how exceedingly great are the riches of his inheritance in you. And I want you to know and understand the power of God toward you when he raised Jesus Christ from the dead. Only a disciple can really know that. The rest of us stand and watch. But the disciple is engaged with what God's doing. I was sitting at Panera the other day, and the Lord dropped in my heart Psalm 105. So I cruised on over to Psalm 105. Started reading. You see, 
I've had some wonderful experiences in my life of God doing things in us, through us, with us. And, but they've been long ago. For 11 years, I was pretty much inactive. That's one great big testimony. I shared it the other night with some folks here. But before that, I have a passel of testimonies. And I tell you, if I sit down in a chair right now with a cup of tea, I can start and tell you for the next week and not repeat myself. But because we like current stuff, I, I've withheld. I've kept myself away from that. I, I'll just sit back here and listen. Oh, give thanks unto the Lord. Psalm 105.1. Call upon his name. Make known his deeds among the people. Well, this disciple heard. <laughs> so... I'll probably start next week with some of my testimonies. I'll keep them as short as possible because they kind of run together. It's a life. <laughs> and tell you of God's provision and God's work. All right, I'll tell you one right now, short. I, we lived in Livonia. And in a home there. And something familiar took place with me in my inner man, Columbia, Missouri. Hmm. What's that about, Lord? So I looked on the map, is there such a place? Sure enough, Columbia, Missouri. So I took my walk, talked to him about it. It came stronger to go to Columbia, Missouri. So, we never had any money. Nothing's changed much. It'll be 43 years this November that I bowed my knee. We didn't have any money or anything. We got bills and expenses. He always covered us, and I'll share some of that with you, how he did it. Anyway, I kind of had to wait around for some money. So, I, I mentioned it to him. He knew that. So he gave me some money, and it was enough money I saw to get there and get home probably. That was not typical. Typically, he gave me enough to get there because of what would happen when I got there. But this time, he gave me enough to get home and get back. I had a little red Ford van, nice little van. Wasn't it? And uh, so I told Linda I had to go to Columbia. She okay. So I got in the van and drove away. So I got to Columbia. There's, there's no cell phones at that time. There's no computers or anything like that. No internet. So I drove down, and I'm in Columbia. I found a truck stop that I could park in at night and sleep in my van, maybe take a shower. That's what I did. A day or so went by, and I went into, I went into a, uh, a restaurant. Young guy there, and I spoke of Jesus to him, and caught his ear and ministered to him, went out and bought him a Bible, took it back to him the next day. But that wasn't why I was there. I've always enjoyed the cemetery, nice and quiet. For years, I'd go to a nice cemetery. Well, I found the cemetery. 
and I went and sat at the cemetery. But that morning, before I went to the cemetery, I called Linda. How's it going, babe? Yeah, blah, blah. She says, I have a word for you. I love those disciples. <laughs> God speaks to disciples and gives them instruction and shows them things to do. It's like Pat praying for Janet and he gives them a vision. It's like disciples hear from God all the time. So she reads a scripture to me. My heart is indicting a good matter. I'm in Psalm 45. I speak of the things which I have made concerning touching the king. My tongue is the pen of a ready writer. You are fairer than the children of men. Grace is poured into your lips. Therefore God <laughs> has blessed you forever. Gird your sword upon your thigh, O most mighty, and with your glory and your majesty. And in your majesty, ride prosperously because of truth and meekness and righteousness. And your right hand shall teach you terrible things. This is directly from Jesus. Isn't that wonderful? Thy throne, O God. Now I want to show you something. Because Christ is in you, and because you died, that old Adam that you were born with died. Everything he says about Jesus Christ, he says about you. I can show you in the Colossians that Paul identified in a specific manner with Jesus on the cross. He's talking about you and me and Jesus. Thine arrows are sharp in the heart of the king's enemies whereby the people fall unto you your throne, O God, is forever and ever. The scepter of your kingdom is a right scepter. You love righteousness and you hate wickedness. Therefore, God, your God, has anointed you with the oil of gladness above your fellows. I said, wow. Thanks, honey. I didn't really get it yet. So I go sit in the cemetery. And I got my Bible open and my man's parked right there. And out here quite a distance is a big John Deere tractor going back and forth with a guy cutting the grass. And I just continued to read. It was kind of a pleasant sight, you know, beautiful grounds. He gets up here about from here to the wall, and he stopped. He got off the tractor. And he walked over to me and sat on the gravestone next to me. He says, Hi. What you doing? I said, I'm just reading the scriptures here. He says, oh, where are you from? Because he heard my voice. I'm not a Missourian. Where are you from? Michigan. Ooh, what brought you here? I don't know. The Lord sent me here. Here was his response. I used to be a Church of God pastor. I left my wife about five years ago and married the church secretary and left the pastorate. Now God's calling me back and my wife's not even safe. What will I do? I don't know what I told him. 
I can tell you I didn't tell him to go squander his life. I didn't tell him to love his wife. I didn't tell him to do any of that stuff. I'm confident that I sent him back to Jesus to do the will of his father. And he jumped up and took a hanky out of his back pocket, wiped his face, grabbed my hand, hugged me. God bless you and thank you. Went out and got in his tractor and started to drive away, cutting grass. The Lord says, go home. I have no idea where that man went. But I know that my father never loses the war, ever. He doesn't win every scrimmage, but he never, ever loses the war. Ever. It doesn't matter what's going on. He does not lose the war. So, I can only assume that that man was restored and got right with God. Maybe his wife did too. I don't know. But he's back in the saddle wherever the Lord wants him. Because there is a saddle. And we can ride. And it's so simple. It's all up to us. We don't need a bowl of lightning to come down. We've seen him already. Yes, sir. You're lying. Then, there's only one decision at that point. I've counted the cost. I don't know what it's going to cost. Oh, I'm filled with stories. I'm not going to tell you anymore now too long. I've counted the cost one time. I think that when we stretch across that bed that time, and the Lord said, that's right. Let no man think she stands. Let's see, Paul, you're kept by me. I think that moment there was a decision made that we simply had to renew from time to time because, you know, trouble comes to disciples. And there's no way out but with him. <laughs> before my struggle that started in 2007, we were, long before that, we were watching... We were watching the United States invade somebody over in East. Remember that, honey? Saturday morning. And they were, they were interviewing a captain. What do you think about this captain? That what, I mean, you're going out to the desert today to, to hunt and find and kill. And, well, I want to go home. And the only way to get there is through that desert. So I'm going home through that desert. As soon as they say, go, I'm on that way to that desert. Well, that's how it is with believers. I made my decision. I'm a disciple. I'm happy about it. I'm grateful. And no matter what he tells me, I'm not going to doubt him. I'm going to go. Five, ten bucks in my pocket, and he says, you're going to Hoboken, New Jersey. I only want to know what time. He says, go to your neighbor. Hey, take a pot of stew, too. Okay. Hi. Oh, come on, come on. Who knows where that's going? More than one soul has been brought to the kingdom of God over a pot of stew by a, by a disciple neighbor. Disciples. And the disciple expects 
to hear from God. Expect God to use them. There's no part of your body right now that is not functioning unless you're sick. And if you're sick, we'll pray for you and heal you. Every part of your body functions. So therefore, every part of his body must function. And we are, each of us, members in particular of his body. I think I got the point across, did I? Now, if in my speaking the Holy Spirit spoke to you and you want to pray, then I invite you to come up here with me and pat and pray. Go ahead. Because if the Holy Spirit spoke to you, you're praying. Like Saul did. He's praying. And who shows up but Ananias, a disciple? Well, here I am. And maybe you're all disciples, and I thank God if you are. But if you're not, and the Holy Spirit says, I want you. Well, then let's confirm that publicly that you're a disciple. So you're welcome to come up anytime. Can I speak a word? Of course. Yeah. Wait, with the microphone. I wasn't going to call you out, but <laughs> he gave a testimony this morning about humility, about how God, he was preaching and teaching, and, and then the Lord, he, had to, he said it himself, I didn't say it, he had to break his legs to bring humility to him so that God could then exalt him at the proper time with the right heart. And there's people in this place right now that are sitting here, if they were all by themselves, if Kenner was the only one in you, you'd be up here right now. But you're like, well, you know, he just said, like, you know, that. If I come up, what's somebody going to think? And that's the devil in your head. I that's am true. telling you. That's the devil. It's the devil in your head. God set up Fred. Well, you came up. I'm sorry. God set up Fred yesterday. He hasn't come to church once in a while. He, but he works, like, all the time. He's always working, always working. And I start sharing with him some scriptures and explaining to him, God wants you to trust him. And he said, well, you know, I have the devotional. I do this devotional for five minutes every day. And it was this scripture today. And he, he recants Matthew 6, 34. Ah, I said, I'm just going to open my Bible and show you something, Fred. And everything that I had been sharing with him was from Matthew 6, I think it's 25 through 33. 24 through 34. 24 through 33. And the scripture he came with was the closer, number 34. And I said, now, Fred, you might believe in coincidences, but I don't. The Lord is speaking to you. Because you know it's hard. You're a new Christian, and the Lord says, go to Columbia, Missouri. Well, I don't have any money. He's like, well, he said, he said this time God gave him money to get home. But it would imply to me that there were times when he only had money to get there. Most of the time. And he had to trust that God would get him home. So what I'm saying to you, longer than I need to, is this is family. 
this is, this is church. This isn't where you worry what somebody thinks about you. This is where you get up and you let Jesus take off the spots and the wrinkles so that he can shine out more and more and more so that you can have peace in your heart. This is where you come up and get prayer and the Lord will move. Okay? So don't be shy. I have another very short testimony. When Linda and I first got saved, she, I was sitting at my desk on a Wednesday morning with my feet up reading the Word. I couldn't work anymore. I had heading office and I had my business, but I just couldn't do it. So I'm reading the Word, and she called me, Kennard, what? I've been reading this book, They Speak With Other Tongues, by Charles and Francis Hunter. So I got up, and I went into our room, and I got on my knees, and I said, Lord, they said I could have the Holy Spirit. I want the Holy Spirit. She says, I begin to sing. Now, my wife, I'm not telling on her now, she can't hold a note. (laughs) Not one. And she sang. She said, so I went back and sat down, and the devil said, oh, that was just you. She says, I got back up, because they told me in the book. I got back up, and I went, and I did it again. I got so jealous. Why wouldn't he give me that? Well, the reason was, and I went to church that night, at the Brightmore Tabernacle. And I went to church. And I realized I had to humble myself. To get up in front of all those people and go, I had to humble myself. Which is what I did. And I went up and about 12 guys came around me. And I finally broke through and began to pray in tongues. And from that moment forth, I pray personally in tongues regularly. Sometimes we'd go up in the morning praying in tongues. That's how you pray without ceasing. We're going to talk about that tomorrow night a little bit. Anyway, point is, um, pass right. You can play a little music if you want, John, because you can. Okay. What do we got here? Hmm? I thought he was shaking when he was speaking about the, about the John Deere tractor story. Oh, yeah.